Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. No will today. Our guy is actually under the weather. Um, he was supposed to be traveling out to California for a shoot that he does with his day job, but he got hit with the stomach flu, so he wasn't able to make the trip. Send Will your well wishes. Hope he's back uh, and healthy very, very soon here. But yeah, um, frustrating, I'm sure. After He was doing all his planning stuff on Sunday and yeah, that's just the worst. I know stomach flu is going around right now. But the show goes on. Great show lined up today. We're going to talk some of the huge personnel moves that have happened in the last week or so with one important thing for every SEC team. And I'm going to run through kind of all that with some quick takes. My guy Brad Crawford is going to join us in a little bit, talk all things Beamer, Dabo, Portal, Ward season, a little country music, got a little bit of everything with Brad. And then Tennessee receiver Jalen Hyatt is also going to come on the pod and talk about the monster year that he had and his future. And we're going to close with some holiday shopping in figuring out. Before we dig into everything else, we talk about Texas Pete every single week, every single pod. And look, I, I think that some of you forget just what a game changer Texas Pete is. If you have any need for sauce, Texas Pete has you covered. And my entire pantry right now can check a box for any sort of specific sauce need that I have. You need buffalo sauce. They got that. You need the traditional hot sauce. They got that. Honey mustard. You want to have some salad. They got that as well. They've got literally everything that you can possibly want and things that I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I haven't even been able to delve into just yet, but Texas Pete always has you covered. They have the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or the new traditional barbecue sauce run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit Texas TexasP.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with, with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all caps, all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Let's do one important thing. Um, I'm not going to get to all the personnel moves that have happened because it's been crazy. The portal, we anticipated that it was going to be nuts with that early declaration date on Monday with these, these new windows and the way that that all set up. But it's just been crazy to try and track all this stuff. And there are going to be important things that I'm going to forget. Sorry. And we have coaches on the move and all these different things. So let's we're just going to go in alphabetical order here. Let's start with Alabama. One important thing, both coordinators are still there. And I'd say this was one good thing. I just said this was one important thing. If you were waiting on perhaps Bill O'Brien to take the Georgia Tech job, that didn't happen. They decided to go with the interim coach, Brent Key. And you're kind of sitting there wondering, all right, is he going to get this Patriots offensive coordinator job that might open up? Is he perhaps going to be a candidate to get the Purdue job, which just opened up because of Jeff Brown? But I think Alabama fans would love to see a change with both coordinators. And usually after a year like this, I would assume that Nick Saban would make that change. But if I'm not mistaken, both their contracts are up and there will have to be a decision that's going to be made on their futures in the very very um, near future because that's at the end of the calendar year. But as long as Bill O'Brien is around, I think Alabama fans will kind of have a little bit of that angst. And, you know, I've defended Bill O'Brien at times, but I kind of understand where they're coming from. So, yeah, that's the one big thing. And obviously they're dealing with a lot of portal issues right now. A whole lot of Alabama players that entered the portal even before the playoff announcement. That's kind of a sign that Alabama wasn't going to make the playoff when you see all these guys hitting the portal. That's not typical of what you see for a team that just enters the college football playoff. So yes, Alabama, the non-moves though are more significant right now. Arkansas, 
one important thing is that KJ Jefferson is back, baby. Love me some KJ. I already declared, I think he's going to be the best returning quarterback in the SEC. We'll wait and see how this plays out with some of these guys that are in the portal right now. And maybe if a certain Devin Leary comes to the SEC, maybe I'd back off that a little bit. But man, I love me some KJ. And I love that he is back. That was huge news to be able to see that because defensively, the questions are a flying for this Arkansas team. Barry Odom takes the UNLV head coaching gig, which yeah, I think it was, I don't want to say it's a mutual parting of ways, but kind of felt like that a little bit with the way that it played out after the frustrating gear that Arkansas had. And now they're going to be losing Drew Sanders as well, who of course declared for the NFL draft, potentially a first round pick. You needed KJ back. I mean, you, you just did no matter what. And now, despite all the questions that we're going to ask about this Arkansas defense after a really frustrating year, at least, you know, you have your guy back and so many teams right now are going to be looking at the portal and kind of scrambling. Where do we go? Where do we go? And having KJ back is very important for what they're trying to do in year four of the Sam Pittman era. Auburn, Zach Calzada era is over. Pour one out. Hardly knew ye. It's so weird to see the way that this this entire thing went down because it felt like coming off of SEC media days, he was going to be the guy. And then he just never quite got healthy with the shoulder. He had surgery. There was reports that came out before the, the surgery was confirmed by Brian Harsin. He's like, well, do you know something that I don't know? And just weird, just very, very odd. And it feels like probably a wasted year for him. This is somebody who already used up his redshirt year, of course. But um, you're kind of wondering what's it going to look like? What's it going to look like away from the Jimbo Fisher offense? And we don't really get a chance to see it. So I don't know what exactly the future holds for Zach Calzada. I mean, he's in a little bit of a different spot because he did get a full year to be able to play in the SEC without really much of a threat of losing his job. And that's something that not a lot of guys get at the power five level, but he got that in 2021. It's a shame that he wasn't able to at least be somewhat healthy. While I still think Robbie Ashford was probably going to be their better option with some of the things that he could do with his legs behind a suspect offensive line. Just, just very, very odd to see the one year of Zach Calzada at Auburn, I'll remember it like Mike Piazza with the Florida Marlins. There's like eight people listening to this who are going to understand what I'm talking about. Go look it up. Mike Piazza on the Marlins. A real thing that happened for like, I think, six days, roughly. Florida, uh, you know the one important thing. Anthony Richardson, off to the NFL. I am not – here's what I'm not going to do. While I do think that his future at the next level is going to – ultimately include a lot of questions and he has a very steep learning curve to get some of the accuracy, some of the passing concepts down, and even just what it's like to be a move the chains runner. I kept coming back to that. I didn't really think Anthony Richardson figured out the way to be a move the chains runner. I thought Jaden Daniels figured out how to be a move the chains runner. And Anthony Richardson doesn't really have that in his arsenal. You know, he can hit the home run play, but just being a guy, you're going to get pick up seven, eight. Oh, it's third and five. I'm going to recognize when, when I have my opportunity to be able to just, just get to the sticks and be able to 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 live another day to to have you know another down here i i think that what we can do ultimately with anthony richardson during the pre-draft process is say there should be concerns what i'm not going to do is root against the kid i don't care that i already have you know a take out there i don't think he's ready for the nfl 
I hope Anthony Richardson succeeds because you know what? That dude, when he's right, is super fun to watch. And, you know, I go back to the Josh Allen thing. I was way wrong on Josh Allen. And one of the first podcasts that we ever did in this iteration of it back in 2018 for the OG listeners of the show that remember, I remember saying, I don't get the hype with Josh Allen. This is stupid. This is stupid. Why do we just evaluate the tools and, and just overhype these guys because they have a big time arm? I was like watching Josh Allen now. He's so fun. And I don't care that I was unbelievably wrong, but that's not the way that this works on the internet. And everybody's going to have a take about the Anthony Richardson. And because they want to be right about their take, so many people are going to root against Anthony Richardson. And I, I'm going to make this vow to, to everybody. I don't want to root against Anthony Richardson. I want him to succeed. I want him to have a lot of success in the NFL. I want him to have a great life. It'd be really fun to watch a guy with his tools be maximized in the way that Josh Allen's have been maximized in the NFL, despite those questions coming in. So Anthony Richardson off to the NFL, no idea who's starting a quarterback for Florida in the bowl game. Man, that quarterback room all of a sudden looks way different than the one that Billy Napier inherited. And with the way that this has played out, Oh man, with the Jalen Kittness stuff. And, you know, you're wondering about what their future is going to look like at the position. I think that Florida is an obvious candidate to go into the transfer portal. We'll kind of wait and see what happens with the Jack Miller thing, the Ohio state transfer. If, if he's going to be a guy they can kind of rally behind, I don't necessarily know, but I do think that if you're Florida, you have to be looking at one of these portal guys would be very surprised if Billy Napier was not at the top of the market there. Georgia, Okay, one important thing, Jaheim Bell is in the transfer portal. We're going to get to this a little bit with Brad Crawford, so I won't go in depth too, too much on this. But Jaheim Bell, the South Carolina Swiss Army knife, whatever you want to call him. If you were Marcus Satterfield, you called him your starting running back for way too long. But Georgia native, go to a place that, you know, Todd Munkin has utilized tight ends at such a high level. And for everybody that's saying, what about Oscar Dub? What about Eric Gilbert? Brock Bowers is still coming back. I'm saying this is totally contingent on Todd Munkin staying in Athens and also Darnell Washington declaring for the draft. We don't know officially what he's going to do there. So maybe the timeline won't really match up very well. Jaheim Bell wants to be able to play tight end, wants to be targeted in that offense and not necessarily go to a place where it's like, oh, hey, we're just going to, we can't figure out ways to use you. We're going to, we're going to hand the ball off to you and probably take reps off of your career. But if there's ever a guy that understands those, those 12 personnel sets it's Todd Munkin he'll get you the football and it's not necessarily an issue of oh I don't want to play behind Brock Bowers it really doesn't work like that at Georgia and it works like that in a lot of other places and for those saying well what about Oscar Delp would you worry about him transferring uh, look Gene Bell is a more proven player than Oscar Delp I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there and if you worry about him transferring that's kind of that, that's run of the mill at Georgia. They're always bringing in talent. I wouldn't necessarily say that you shouldn't pursue Jaheim Bell just as a result of, of Oscar Delp. And you know what? The Eric Gilbert thing, it's unfortunate. It's frustrating. I don't know that you can necessarily rely on or bank on him coming back and being a key contributor. So if I'm Georgia, yeah, absolutely. I would be in the Jaheim Bell market. Kentucky, one important thing. There is a QB1 and an OC opening case you haven't heard, it was a few hours before we started recording this, that Will Levis officially declared for the NFL draft. He is not going to be playing in the bowl game, which a rematch against Iowa that had an over-under of 31 and a half. I think we're going to get an over-under in the 20s for a bowl game. Rock fight. It's going to be bad. Um, no offense, Kai Sharon. Okay. Hope, 
Hope it all works out for him. Big opportunity for him in the bowl game, but it's been no secret. Kentucky, which also fired Rich Scangarello, he was one and done there. They're looking at a certain guy who may or may not look like me to come back to Lexington, kind of be the hero. Certainly in Cohen will um, hopefully get some sort of word on that in the next few days. As of right now, nothing is official on that just yet. I know if you followed this from Kentucky Sports Radio, Matt Jones has been all over this. I've got a couple of other candidates that are apparently at the top of their list. But nonetheless, we know that Kentucky has an opening at QB1. They've got an offensive coordinator opening. I would assume they're going into the transfer portal to get one of these big time guys. I think they have a really nice sell and it kind of forces you to assume that they're going to stick with this sort of offense and not necessarily revert back to what they were kind of with Terry Wilson and with Lynn Bowden. And I think they're going to want to stick with some of these pro style concepts. That's easier to sell for a quarterback and for an OC, but I think that's a really good job. And I think getting to a place like that and, potentially getting to work with those two stud freshman receivers that you have, Barry and Brown, Dane Key. That's a, a very nice card to be able to play for Mark Stoops. One important thing for LSU, Keishon Booty's coming back. How about it? Really, really surprised to see that news come out. I assume that when we read the, you know, he's got the Instagram post or whatever, it was a tweet or something like that. And you read some of these long posts and you just assume that these guys are going to the NFL and you're kind of like, all right, yeah, whatever, whatever. You're like, oh, he's, he's coming back, unfinished business. Um, okay, all right. Huge for LSU because I don't know that there are a whole lot of people who thought he would come back for a year four after three years as an SEC starter. Obviously, he had the down year. It was frustrating. He struggled to kind of develop that rapport with Jaden Daniels. I wonder what those conversations looked like behind closed doors. I wonder what his NFL draft feedback was because this was still a guy that we were seeing mocked in the first round. But if he got some some disappointing feedback, then understanding you know maybe he's got an opportunity to make a lot of money in the NIL market and potentially be a first round pick after his senior season, then that makes sense for him. But huge, huge for LSU, and this just adds to the belief that that LSU could very well start off as a top five team, depending on how they recruit the transfer portal, how they finish up this early signing period, what happens with their quarterback situation. But having Booty back in the fold is big time for Brian Kelly. Mizzou, not so lucky with their go-to receiver. Dominic Lovett transferring fourth in the SEC in receiving this year. This feels like a situation of a guy who wants to play at a bigger program. Maybe he doesn't want to come back to a Mizzou offense that uh, has struggled in the passing game. Not a lot of faith there. You want to be able to to get maybe more of a spotlight. It seems like he's in one of those spots where he wants to to have an increased role, higher volume passing offense. But that's a, a tough setback because they could have potentially made that really nice sell with a lot of those skill players coming back. And while they stu- still do have Luther Burden, which is huge news for them and something that we talked about throughout this season as an important can't like ultimate cannot if you're allowed to drink with let that guy walk out your door like big time deal breaker very important to keep him still though you lose your go-to receiver somebody that was really effective this year and could end up going elsewhere and having a really really nice future we'll wait and see if that's the sec or outside of the conference similar story with mississippi state rara thomas another guy transferring could be looking to play at a bigger program. There's reportedly some Tennessee interest. That would make a lot of sense. I think the air raid, you just, if you're a Mississippi State fan, 
easy come, easy go with receivers. That's that's just going to be the nature of the beast, right? You're going to have these guys who maybe transfer in, they spend a year there, they say, yeah, you know what, they already, that the way that this operates, it's a little bit different. I'm not a big fan of the route tree. I want to get out of this. Alternatively, you're always going to be able to sell in the transfer portal. We throw the football 50 times a game. Come get you some targets. That's a nice sell. So if you're a Mississippi State fan, I think you just have to tell yourself, this is the nature of the beast. This is how it's always going to be with Mike Leach as your head coach. You're going to get some guys that really hit and really take off. Makai Polk was that guy for you last year. He goes to the NFL after one year, had a lot of success, but this is just the byproduct of having this system. Some guys want to come to it. Some guys want to stay in it. Other guys are just going to say, nah, you know what? This isn't necessarily for me. I think Ra Thomas still has some very good football ahead of him at this level. Ole Miss, Quinshawn Judkins is coming back for year two. <laughs> um, look, I know there are a lot of Ole Miss fans who are panicking during the year. Would he leave? Would he leave? If Lane leaves, is he going to follow him wherever he goes? Would he go to Auburn with Lane? It's strange that in this day and age, we talk about whether or not a guy coming off a freshman season like that is going to return to his program. But that's it. That's the way that this works now. And when you see the NIL deal and, oh, we made sure to lock in his future, that announcement, I think you just have to say, awesome, let's move on to the next thing. That's huge. He should be a preseason All-American, in my opinion. Getting that guy to come back and not having to sweat out if he's going to go into the portal, if he's going to try and make NIL money elsewhere, that's big. That's really big for your program and what you're trying to build. And obviously, when you return your head coach, that's the biggest personnel offseason move that you could have asked for. South Carolina, one important thing is that Marcus Satterfield is gone. Haven't really had a chance to dig into this a whole lot. It's worked out pretty well, I think, for Shane Beamer. The fact that Satterfield goes to Nebraska to join forces with Matt Rule in a move that felt like this is best for all parties. Okay, this is best for all parties. I think Shane Beamer was pretty frustrated with the way the offense went most of the year. Hearing him say after some of these games, just get the ball in the hands of our best players. Okay, that's all you need to worry about right now. And Marcus Satterfield at times took that as giving Jaheim Bell handoffs and deciding that Marshawn Lloyd didn't need to get a whole lot of carries in the second half of games. Or it, it was just a, a, a very herky-jerky season for Marcus Satterfield. So seeing him go work with Matt Rule at Nebraska and South Carolina getting a chance to turn the page after two years with Satterfield, which let's be honest <laughs> – they were mostly frustrating. If there were South Carolina fans who were sad to see him leave, uh, I'd push back on that a little bit. I understand the last two games, he was awesome. And it looked like he really captured everything that South Carolina fans could have hoped for. But you still got to look at the entire picture. And for the most part, I think that hire was a bit frustrating. And when you see the weapons that South Carolina had and how long it really took them to get going, I don't think that you can necessarily bank on him all of a sudden turning the page as an offensive play caller. Tennessee, um, different story with the OC here. One important thing was that Alex Golish off to USF. Yes, he is getting a head coaching opportunity after working with Josh Heupel being one of the keys to the most prolific offense in college football this year. Strike while the iron is hot. Not an easy guy to replace. I, I don't think he is, man. Like I, I was really impressed with him this year. And if you paid attention to his role, there was, in addition to his bio over the summer, I want to say it was, 
wherein Josh Heupel made sure to outline that he had play calling duties. So we've talked about this before. It's similar to the dynamic that Lane Kiffin has at Ole Miss, where Charlie Weiss Jr. is the one kind of calling the plays. Lane oversees it. It was how it worked when Jeff Levy was on board. That's kind of the way that you have to do it with this up-tempo stuff. And, you know, Alex Golish is one of those guys who can operate that system. And that's why I suggested him as a, a great potential fit at AM. And we saw AM couldn't really run tempo for an entire game. And he would have made a lot of sense out there, but getting a head coaching opportunity, one that I thought would have made a lot of sense for Deion Sanders. I would have loved to have seen him in that market in Tampa. And I, I think that's a, a program that's got tremendous upside. It doesn't feel like that long ago that I was going down to Tampa to do a story on Quentin Flowers. They've got Dearness Johnson there. And that's that's a program that in that market, I think they can have a ton of success. So like that move, I think Alex Golish, even though that's not necessarily one of these splashy offseason hires, it's it, it's big for USF and a, a, a huge replacement for Josh Heupel to find someone that can be on board with being able to, to run that offense the way that they want to run it. Texas A&M, uh, Jimbo Fisher fired Dale Dickey. Uh, moving on from Daryl Dickey shows us, hopefully, hopefully, that Jimbo Fisher's about to hire an offensive play caller. I mean, he's got to, right? <laughs> this was kind of the opening of the door for that move. It was Dickey who officially had the OC title, but we knew that Jimbo still had play calling duties. So one would think and one would hope that a big splash is coming. That doesn't guarantee anything, but there have been a lot of names that have thrown out that have been thrown out there. Garrett Riley is a popular one who, man, that guy seems destined to get a big time job after the year that he's had at TCU. Jeff Grimes, the Baylor offensive coordinator, who was the offensive coordinator for Zach Wilson at BYU. He would make a lot of sense. Uh, Dan Mullen, I never really put that to bed. I, I think that even though we heard that he's not going to be the South Carolina OC, um, I, I still think that Dan Mullen could be a really intriguing fit at a place like that. He probably wants to be a head coach based on the people that I've talked to about that. But man, that would be a really fascinating one-year deal. But if you're AM, you've got a nice sell. And Jimbo has to be able to make this sell. This is what is going to determine his future. It really is. It's going to determine whether or not AM is going to pay some disgusting buyout or if they're actually going to be able to maximize the talent that Jimbo brought through that door. And this is a good sign moving forward, I think, for the Aggies. Last one important thing, Vandy. Mike Wright hit the transfer portal. Not a major surprise, even though he was the guy who won them two games. That's a nice thing to have on your resume. One Vandy, it's only two SEC games of the 2020s. They were going in the direction of AJ Swan. It was just a matter of figuring out what was the best way to potentially win a game this year in SEC play. And obviously Swan getting hurt the way that he did that, that opened the door for Wright, but Wright's a fun player, man. I hope that guy gets an opportunity at the group of five level and is someone that gets the keys to an offense. Great, great leader. I love that dude at SEC media days. He was exactly what they needed this year. And there are so many of these places right now that are struggling to find their leader at quarterback. And it's not a guarantee that that guy that you get out of the transfer portal is going to have the pulse of that entire team. And he's not going to be a guy that's locked into being a captain and is really going to win over that locker room. Mike Wright won over that locker room. There was no doubt about it whatsoever. I think he'll win over whatever locker room he steps into next. But yes, the AJ Swan era has officially begun in Nashville. 
Okay, before we kick it to Brad Crawford and Jalen Hyatt, quick word from our friends at Underdog. Hey guys, you know how sports betting isn't legal in all these states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera? In other words, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You may have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. And they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play on these contests. So what does it look like for college football? Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players. For example, Stetson Bennett, higher or lower. 200 passing yards, pretty similar to sports betting player props, just like we talk about with all of our preview pots. And you can put real money on the line. And yes, I've answered this question before. It is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. All right. So I just looked at some of these higher lowers on underdog 12 and four on these so far, not to brag or anything, but I am giving you money. So you should take my words wisely. Here are the ones that I like for Thursday night football. Let's, let's go with a couple of SEC guys here. Van Jefferson, uh, I'm going to go with under 38 and a half receiving yards. The player props for those Rams offensive players, guys, it's bad. It's depressing. And they should be because not Matthew Stafford. I'm not going to put that on a certain Liam Cohen, but they're dealing with some offensive issues right now with their offensive line play. They've kind of given up on the season, it looks like. So under 38 and a half receiving yards for Van Jefferson. And then Foster Moreau, I'm going to go with under 31 and a half receiving yards. He's been at like 33, 33, 32 these last few weeks. So obviously a smart move to put that line right where it is, but short rest, you kind of wonder about those tight ends with limited time to be able to prepare. So that's it. Uh, Underdog is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football, any other sport in your living room, you can win some real money. Go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. Yep. You can get a hundred dollars absolutely free. Saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Brad first and then Jalen. Now, excited to be joined by a very special guest it is my guy, Brad Crawford. Brad, last time I had you on was right around this time last year. Um, we were wondering if Shane Beamer was going to take the Oklahoma job and didn't happen, uh, which that came out, I think that got put to bed very quickly after this pod came out, which that's the way that this works always, of course. But it's kind of wild to think about how crazy things have changed in a year. They get Spencer Rattler. Uh, South Carolina has this wild up and down year that ends, of course, with Clemson uh, beating Clemson and obviously just taking Tennessee to the woodshed, knocking both of them out of the playoff. I, I need you, a South Carolina expert, to weigh in on this. If the Gamecocks beat Notre Dame in the bowl game, can they once again be crowned the ultimate good vibes team in college football? <laughs> I think they can. Uh, Shane Beamer said last week, Connor, that there's no Mayo bath for him. So they're trying to determine what they can do down in Jacksonville if they beat Notre Dame. But I mean, Shane's looking at probably a big payday in January. They finished nine and four coming out of his second season. Right now, he's still on his original contract, has a big offensive coordinator move to make. So pretty big uh, next few weeks for Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks. And, and like you said, there are a few teams in college football right now with more momentum. In South Carolina. 
Let's talk about that contract. I speculated $7 million a year, which sounds like a lot. But then you see, I mean, even Dion is getting $6 million a year at Colorado. You've got Lane Kiffin making $9 million. You've got Stoops making close to $9 million. Like, I kind of think the going rate for Beamer is around $7 million a year. What do you think about that? I mean, Shane's the kind of guy who, who if, you know, if the offer was $7 million, he'd rather take five and a half and put one and a half toward a big-name coordinator hire. I think he knows that if the Gamecocks can hire a elite level offensive coordinator, this takes an eight and fourteen potentially next season to potentially you know nine or ten wins depending on what the roster looks like, who comes back. But Shane Beamer right now makes two point seven five I think a year, which is lowest in the SEC. Obviously, he has outperformed that contract. A lot of coaches in college football making more money than he does that you know have not had the success at their uh, current program. So. I think Shane's going to get right at five and a half to six. Seven seems like a, a really high number. Let's speculate wildly about OC hires. We know it's not Dan Mullen. So on ESPN right. radio, not going to happen, which I didn't really think that was going to be the fit for him anyways. But um, the name I threw out there was Kevin Johns, the Duke offensive coordinator. I think he'd be a really nice fit. Um, I don't really know. I, I know the sell is really good. I yeah. don't know what Beamer's list looks like and what type of guy he is considering for that role. What's been your take on that? Yeah, the list of candidates, according to my sources, I mean, they they change every 48 hours, you know, f- from guys either taking themselves out of the race or guys potentially taking head coaching jobs elsewhere. Kendall Bryles was a hot name early. The last couple of days, what I've heard mainly is Garrett Riley, TCU, or Phil Longo, North Carolina. I think if Phil Longo is a hire, you can kind of put two and two together that maybe the Gamecocks – swung and missed at a huge, you know, Garrett Riley type hire. I think Riley's a future head coach. Might might be a head coach this cycle with a couple of jobs still open, but I think TCU is going to try its best to wrap him up there, whether that happens before the playoff or after. But Shane Beamer has said in the last week that he's trying to make a hire soon. You know, it probably needs to happen before the early signing period. And the Spencer Rattler decision plays a big deal in this. I don't think Spencer Rattler is going to the NFL. He's not entering the portal. But he's got a decision to make, and for some reason here it is mid-December, hasn't announced yet. Okay, so we we gotta talk about that. Yeah. The last I mean, the last two weeks changes everything. It, it just does. Like if, if he continues a little, yeah. Like, I mean, and that's fair. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It'd be weird if th- those are the types of performances that that could change lives and and not to the same level of a Johnny Manziel Alabama game, but you better believe that Spencer Radler was not in any sort of position to be like, oh yeah, I can t- totally pick what exactly I want to do if he had continued the way that he was looking after Florida. So you say that he comes back. That's been your general vibe. What do you think that would look like then if he came back? Would he be, oh, he's going to be the man. He's kind of welcome back with open arms. He's going to have a say in this coordinator hire. Like, how exactly does all this go down? I think Spencer Rattler is definitely the man on the Gamecocks football team. He just won team MVP at the Gamecocks, you know, postseason football dinner. He makes more money in NIL than any player at South Carolina, more money than most players in the SEC. The, you know, the the figure I've been told is around 1.3 to 1.5 this season. That number is probably going to go up if if he does return. And you have to think, man, if he's a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, those aren't usually guaranteed contracts. He has to make the roster as well. So he's going to make more money by staying at South Carolina likely next season, unless there's a team that, you know, takes a chance on him in the second round or something, you know, judging by the bowl game performance. But 
Spencer said he's going to play in the bowl game. I've been told that he's going to come back to South Carolina, and I think he's kind of anxious too, just like all of Gamecock Nation, to see who Beamer, you know, tabs as his next play caller. The Jaheim Bell thing and the way that played out—it's yeah. kind of a surprise because I think surprising a little bit, yeah. Well, I mean, we see the the Marcus Satterfield news, and you know, it's no secret that his usage in his offense was a very well documented storyline on a weekly basis. And everybody's tracking his snap counts and all these different things. So you're thinking, all right, Satterfield goes to Nebraska, Jaheim Bell comes back, plays in a new offense, good to go. That's not the case. He enters the portal. Uh, what exactly kind of went into that, and how how does this play out? Because I speculated the possibility of him going to Georgia, and I think the internet might have melted down with the thought of that. No, I think you're right on the money there, man. I, I spoke to somebody very close to Jaheim before this podcast, actually, and the three teams that he's looking at are Florida State, Georgia, and Ole Miss. Our, our Knowles 24-7 site this week down in Tallahassee has already reported that he's probably taking a visit to Florida State this weekend, so that's a team to watch there. But, look, Jaheim is leaving because he's a top-five player at his position, and he was not utilized correctly this season. Now, regardless of what next season, you know, OC hire is going to do at South Carolina, this is on Jaheim to sort of see what his value is in the portal. Obviously, he can come back, but that that ship is probably sailed based on everything I've heard. But um, I just think, I don't, you know, Jaheim Bell doesn't want to play running back. And in and, and the last four games of the year, Marcus Satterfield is starting him at, at tailback, 15 carries a game. And there was a game this year, Connor, against Missouri where – he played like 17 total snaps and and he's like the second best player on the Gamecocks offense. So after that game, I think the Gamecocks coaching staff sort of knew that this ain't working out for, for Marcus Satterfield. And the decision was made, you know, shortly thereafter that a, a new OC would be the deal in 2023. Yeah, it's like the Wandell Robinson thing when he left Nebraska for Kentucky. He's like, I don't want to play running back. This is what I signed up for. I don't want to run between the tackles against, you know, against dudes this big. That's not the way that I was, you know, supposed to be utilized in this offense, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's talk portal here. We're both real high on Devin Leary. Um, when he hit the portal, it was kind of like this, whoa. He could go uh, anywhere, it, it seems like. I think he's the best quarterback in the portal as of this recording, which 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. Where do you think the the former NC State quarterback ends up? Yeah, I heard you mention possibly Alabama or Georgia before we got on air here, and I, I would totally agree. I think he has ascended the other quarterbacks currently in the portal. I know we have at 24-7 Sports, Clemson's DJ Uyunglele, number two quarterback, um, but that's got to be just a perfect scheme fit situation for DJ to succeed. Probably a West Coast program there. But Devin Leary, man, two and a half year starter at NC State, 65 touchdown passes. There's a reason he got some first round buzz, you know, going into this season with the Wolfpack. Obviously hurt his peck and I did, didn't play the second half, but very good player. He can play in a pro style set. He can be a spread quarterback. Um as good an arm as anybody in the country this season alongside, you know, Will Levis at UK. So I think Devin Leary is going to pretty much ride his ticket and see where he wants to play. But there there are two names that have not entered the portal yet that might be an option, and that's Drake May and Sam Hartman. So if those two ACC quarterbacks go portaling this month, then maybe there's an argument for, you know, who's the top signal caller. I love that verb, portaling. It's yeah. real. Everybody kind of gets it. This is the new college football, man. So long to the game we once knew. Right? It's it's crazy because, you know, I, 
there's and that's what it is. That's ultimately what it is. And let's let's accept that. But I think there's this um, there's this struggle with college football fans who see. So if, if you're a Georgia fan, right, you've seen Carson back for three years now. You've got these little snippets of him and you're telling yourself he's next. He's next. He's next. And then you hear somebody speculate that Devin Leary could be a possibility or that they could go after somebody like a Drake May or something. And all of a sudden, are you just supposed to abandon what you've been telling yourself for the last three years? A lot of people want to dig their heels in even more, but South Carolina fans know this all too well. Like you can talk all you want about Luke Doty, but if there's a Spencer Rattler available, you go and get Spencer Rattler because you can. And why wouldn't you? Look at the Panthers. I mean, PJ Walker has been a depth guy for Carolina for the last three or four years. And if Aaron Rodgers was on the market for just about the same price, of course the Panthers would go get him. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a very interesting dynamic that these OCs and head coaches now in December, not only looking at the 2023 class, but they're trying to bring in guys with experience who are already proven elite. And there's five to six programs, Connor, that every recruiting cycle now until the NCAA steps in and changes this portal deal that can pretty much handpick the players it wants. And we, we saw that last cycle with Nick Saban going after Jameer Gibbs. Okay, so the fluidity of the portal and the way that this is set up, even with this new window, which has kind of, in a way, just made for a more chaotic week. Yes. <laughs> this is all set up. Coach you can't... not happy with the new portal, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what the solution is, though, because honestly, I'm I'm pretty stumped on how that can change because if you move the window back, then you're impacting the, the early signing period because you don't know how many scholarships you have available, like – is there a solution to fix December madness in college football right now? I think the easiest answer to all of this is it just damages high school recruiting. I mean, if if you're a borderline, you know, three-star guy who might have signed the FBS scholarship as a depth guy, as a freshman or sophomore, you're probably not getting offered now because they can go get a, you know, two-year starter from Toledo who you've already seen on tape and you know he can play at the college level. So this this really hurts high school recruiting. And like you said, if you move the window to maybe after Christmas, January 1st to January 30th, then you start to, you know, coaches are trying to determine, okay, of these 25 scholarships, how many do I want to keep for portal possibilities? Because these coaches, by the way, they don't know who's going to enter the portal. I mean, the the ones I've spoken to, you know, they they refresh the portal several times a day and like, wow, we didn't expect him to be in there. Let's let's give him a call. So it's, it's just kind of the wild, wild west right now. That's kind of an overused adage, but that's that's truly what it is. Are we ever going to embrace this as college football fans? Because once upon a time, we embraced signing day and we made a day of it and it was fun. And, you know, you get the faxes in and 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 pre, I guess, pre-Twitter era, pre-early signing period, it was such a different beast. Are we ever going to get to a place where we can just say, hey, this is actually kind of fun to see this free agency? Because we, we talk about free agency in other sports in such a different way than we do with college athletics right now. I mean, it's going to be fun for the top 10 or 12 teams that are in the mix for, you know, playoff spots every year. But for the teams that that go seven and five and would love to keep their two year starter who's, you know, thrown 30 touchdown passes the last two years, it's going to be hard to retain them. And I think for the core college football fan, you're going to always pull for your alma mater or the team that, that you know, you you grew up watching. But as far as maybe being tied to players and liking certain players now, that that might be over because, you don't know if the guy you sign is going to be there a year and a half, two years from now.
Yeah, even Quinchon Judkins has an unbelievable freshman season at Ole Miss. And Ole Miss fans that just the, at the end of the year are just like sitting there, you know, just nervously awaiting an announcement of some sort. Lane, and then Lane you can, has to re-recruit him probably, yeah. It's unbelievable. And I don't know how you could prevent that the way that things are currently set up. Okay, so with, with the portal, over or under 0.5 portal guys that Dabo brings in. I'm going to say over. And, and if Dabo does not change his – portal mentality right now uh he's going to go from you know a top 10 program to top 20 just outside top 25 fast i mean the the game is changing around clemson right now and and dabbo doesn't seem interested in you know going with the flow and and going around with it i mean he promoted two coordinators he didn't he didn't make outside hires there's i think we could spend a whole podcast connor on what clemson needs to do during this offseason to get back to being elite Katie Klubnick doesn't, you know, he's he's got a lot to do with that because when your quarterback's good and you've got talent around him, you're you're going to be an elite team. But I don't know, right right now, Dabo for some reason uh, seems to have his head in the sand a lot of times when it comes to portal and NIL, and he's just not interested in kind of taking that next step like the elite coaches Kirby Smart, Nick Saban have have done around him. And Kirby, while he made it a point this year to say, oh, you know, we didn't have to use the portal or whatever, like he still has used it. It's not that he's got the same sort of approach that Dabble does. And what I keep saying is I get it. You want to you want to have your values. You want to talk about developing guys within the program, your high school system and the way that you evaluate talent. But if you're going to do it, then what's what are those four years that you didn't do it? Like your fan base has a reason to be upset with you if you're not willing to make this choice. And if eventually you feel like you have to give in when everybody's been telling you, hey, man, this is the way that it works. And if you don't address these needs on your roster, you're doing your team, you're doing your program a disservice. And that's not necessarily what should be cashing your paycheck. But yeah, Dabo is very much at a crossroads. It's an interesting question moving forward. And I asked this after the, you know, the, the South Carolina upset of Clemson in, in Clemson's Death Valley. And I said, you know, this belief that Dabo is going to just all automatically be a top 10 program every single year. I don't think you can say that if you had to, at this point, buy stock in one of those two guys, same price, I'll let you get in at same price, Dabo, Shane Beamer. Oh, this is a, this is a spot question, man. What do you want? That's that's really tough to say. I mean, that's man. Do you, do you go with the guy who already has two rings, or or, or the guy trying to get there? Uh, I think for Shane Beamer to be successful long term in Columbia, he's going to need an elite quarterback. And th- this next OC hire, like like Dabo's pending, probably coordinator hires that they, he's got to make very soon. Th- this next OC hire is going to make or break Shane Beamer from a from a good coach to a potentially you know top fifteen caliber coach and and i think shane knows that uh i mean i think right now i'd I'd still rather have Dabo leading my program based on his you know longevity but if he's not willing to show me that he's going to change with the times the the way shane beamer has as a second year coach shane shane said last recruiting cycle that you know the gamecocks are going to be at the forefront the premiere of you know portaling and and nil and Dabo swing is just the opposite and both those seasons kind of uh you know, went opposite directions this year. Clem- Look, I mean, as long as Clemson is in the ACC, they're they're going to win nine or ten games a year. And I don't I don't mean to bash the ACC, but you you look at the schedule, and they're going to be able to recruit better than that. But uh, if if Dabo was in the SEC, that team he had this season would not have gone ten and two.
I, I agree with that. And I've I've defended Clemson at certain points because their record against SEC teams has been really good up until these last few years. But yeah, you you can't argue with the way that this has played out, uh, especially these last couple of years. I'm not going to ask you who you think is going to win the Heisman um, this year because I'm assuming Caleb Williams, you you would. So I don't I don't have a vote in the Heisman. I I, I vote in the Blitnikoff, but I would have voted Hendon Hooker. At least on my ballot, as one, probably probably not as one. Okay, I, I would have Caleb one, but uh, for for him to be the Heisman front runner for what ten weeks, and then to not even be invited to New York, that's that's strange to me, man. And and the Heisman, you know, talks about you know moral integrity, value, that sort of thing. I know you you spoken to him in one on one too, Connor, and he's a, he's a fantastic dude. And I mean, that's that's the kind of quarterback or star player that you want to be the face of college football and for him not to be invited. That's not surprising to me. Yeah. I, I definitely was, was hoping to see Hennon invited. And again, I can't disclose anything until after it comes out because this is the first year I've had a vote and don't want to necessarily ruin that. But yeah, I agree. It would have been, would have been great to be able to see Hennon in New York after the year that he had. So next year though, let's, let's, let's turn the page because you know, and this, this column was coming out. I'm writing this column. You're probably writing this exact column. Well, Sunday morning. Yep. It's, it's, I, I might, well, you're writing a Sunday more. I got to have ours come out Saturday night then. <laughs> That's the way this works. Um, next year, early favorites. And this is, you know, we're, we're still going to wait and see the way this plays out with the portal. But Drake May, Kate Klubnik. And in the on deck circle, your your former IU guy, I, I know it's coming. Michael Penix. I mean, I'm just saying they, they got a lot of late momentum for him. And he's he's got some numbers that are that are really good. Like you get him and Caleb DeBoer system and you kind of yeah. see the difference there. So like he's gonna be on there. I mean, Caleb Williams is still coming back. Like he's gonna be there. Quinshawn Judkins. I think those are the early favorites that you would look at. Who are some of the guys that you're gonna have in mind that I can just copy and paste and use in my column? Yeah, man. If you if you dream up a preseason top ten, take take six of those starting quarterbacks, and there <laughs> there's there's your hot and front runners. Maybe maybe outside of Drake May, but that's that's sort of what this award has has come down to. You know, if if Bo Nix had another year, I'd I'd say he's a hot and front runner. He's he got was, another year. He's got another year. Don't forget, he's still got another year of eligibility. He can come back. Let's he plays his seventh year or you know whatever it is. Then he, he would he would be on my list too. Gosh, Bo Nix wins the Heisman in 2023. Man, the Auburn takes. Oh boy, that would be that would be something. I'd love to see. How about somebody. Robbie Ashford? Hey, how about some? How about some 50 to one odds on Robbie Ashford? I am that very one. intrigued by Robbie Ashford and Hugh Freeze's offense. Very, I very. I don't know intrigued. what kind of weapons he'll he'll have around him, but uh, Robbie's a good quarterback from what I've seen. So, okay, um, national coach of the year. Who'd you give it to? Because I can go a lot of different ways with that. This season, Sonny Dykes. I think um, I would agree. I, I know he didn't go 12 and one with his players and, and 13 and 0 would have been, you know, the, the lock grand slam, go ahead and give it to him. But um, I think, I think Josh Heupel deserves some, some, some credit. Um, obviously how he ended the season though, that, that really hurt Devos. Not not making the playoff and losing two games, losing about twenty five points at South Carolina was just you know a a stunner for Josh Heupel. But what he's done in Tennessee obviously is very very important. I mean, I, I would I'd give it to Sonny Dykes. Some of the stuff I heard about the the pregame altercation with Tennessee and going into that South Carolina game, just 
bizarre man like really really bizarre and not sure how much of that is true how much of that isn't that's why i haven't said that on airwaves of what exactly has been has been heard but just with that there was a dispute and you just kind of wonder about stuff like that like man is that that's that's I don't know that that's necessarily an indictment of of hypo, but that's just a weird thing to have happen for a team that looked like it was cruising. You're not giving your vote to Kirby Smart, are you? I I would have no problem with Kirby Smart as national coach of the year. No problem whatsoever. I I thought you might give it to him. Now let me let let me say this about Kirby. He would he would be top three on my ballot. Sonny Dykes won, but this was Georgia's easiest schedule, man, in like a decade, and and Georgia did what it was supposed to do with arguably the best roster in college football, despite the 15 draft picks last season and, you know, returning veteran quarterback. I don't know. I mean, I we we all kind of simulated the season and expected Georgia to be either 11-1 and or 12-0 and heading to Atlanta, and that's what happened. So is that, you know, great coach stuff, or is that just more of a testament of how well he's recruited and, and developed talent? I'd say I'd say it's both. I mean, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think that there was there was an assumption that they would be eleven and one, twelve and zero going to the SEC championship, and the fact that they didn't have Alabama to get through certainly impacts the way that we talk about Georgia and the strength of schedule. But yeah, I just come back to that thirteen and zero. This being the first ever Georgia team to start thirteen and zero with what they lost, it, it's just it's amazing to me, and we're numb to it. And Kirby's probably not going to get that national coach of the year type love, but I just think it's worthy of consideration because I just don't think it's necessarily easy to do it the way that he did it um next year I'm not going to ask you national coach of the year for next year um but first to win a national title with the year one coaches who are just finishing up year one so you get to revisit this interesting question Lincoln Riley Brian Kelly Mario Cristobal Billy Napier Dan Lanning Brent Venables or and we'll, we'll include Marcus Freeman in that there's the wild card because he still has national championship uh, odds, well, a chance, a path this year, Sonny Dykes. So who of that group is going to win a national championship first? Yeah, it's not going to be Sonny this year, having to go through Michigan and Georgia. Um, I mean, if if they do that, then Max Duggan might not have a leg by, by the time that Georgia <laughs> game's over with. That that would be just a physical affair. But I'm, I'm going Lincoln Riley. You know, I, I write this story every spring. I think he's the best coach in college football right now that has not won a national title. Brian Kelly's close. And I think now with the talent at LSU, he's going to continue to get there. But Lincoln Riley is a guy that that's always seems to be one or two games away. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, he always signs elite quarterback talent and gets the absolute most out of that position. I think he's now going to have, what, three Heisman winners once Williams is named the Heisman winner this season. Kyler Murray's won. Uh, Baker Mayfield. It's just really impressive. He's been to, what, three college football playoffs in six or seven years as a head coach. So Lincoln's close to getting there, but he has to find the right D coordinator, man. I, I don't I don't know if Alex Grinch is going to be the guy who the next two, uh, two to four seasons is able to, you know, have an elite defense. But once he figures things out on that side of the football, I think Riley is a annual mainstay in this new playoff. Most important question for you, and we'll close on this. What was the best country song of uh, of the year of 2022? Because I've got a few thoughts on that, and I, I think we'll go probably in different directions. You you probably saw my tweet, and, and I'm not even sure this song came out in 2022 because you know I'm I'm kind of uh is it's the Hardy song about the gun or or shooting the 
What's, uh, what's stay in the truck? Called? The stay in the yes. truck song? Yes, that's the best song. I'm not a hardy guy. I Oh, okay. Is that a hot take? Is that a hot take? I like him better as a writer than I do as as I like I, his voice just to me doesn't really do it. I feel like he lays I it just on a little bit. I found out who Hardy was like man like like 3 or 4 months ago so I'm I'm still <laughs> new to this but yeah that that song I think I heard it played on either the AMAs or the CMAs and I was like it's pretty good man. I like yeah. that. Yeah, he's he's got a he definitely has a, a very significant following now, and especially like he was kind of one of those behind the scenes type guys for a little bit. Now he's really he's been blown up. I thought he for a little bit he was like Morgan Wallen's dad, and then I realized they're only separated by like five years in age, which that was news to me. I had no idea. But what's uh, your pick? Okay, so I was I got I got five for you, six actually. Oh, um, <laughs> I got uh, the kind of love we make, Luke Combs. You're a big Luke Combs guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Last night, like me, yeah. Yep. Uh, Last Night Lonely, John Party, of course. That's Money in the Bank. Uh, Till You Can't, Cody Johnson. Although yeah. that might have been, that might have come out like 2021, whatever. Got mostly played in 2022. Joy of My Life, Chris Stapleton. Um, And then, and that just came out on Country Radio, but that's been out for, for a little bit. So that's kind of a late, late riser, but that's going to be played at like every first dance wedding um that's that's a guarantee you were you were on chris stapleton before he blew up so i'll yeah i'll give you that that. that's my claim to fame i was on malik willis before he blew up and i was on chris stapleton (laughs) before he blew up that's it that's all i got um and then uh carly pierce had two that came out uh the never wanted to be that girl and with ashley mcbride and then underrated yeah great song great great song and then um uh what was the other um what he didn't do which just dunks on michael ray the entire time, but like in a respectful, soulful kind of so, way. I actually saw Michael Ray live uh, at a little venue in Orlando. Me and Savannah did before he turned into, you know, who he is now. Uh, he's good, but yeah, his his ex-wife's a lot better. His ex-wife is a lot better. She She's winning the breakup right now. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Orlando claims him too. It's kind of like our native son, Michael Ray, whenever they put him on, on the radio. And it's like, ah, I don't know that he's the guy we want to be claiming right now, but you know, just kind of is what it is. Um, what bowl games are you going to be at? I am going to the tax layer. Nice. Potentially the cheese it, which is on back to back days. I'm trying to make that work. Um, and I will not be going to the Mayo bowl because that's on December 30th. And there's a bigger game in Jacksonville that day. So heard about that. Uh, I think there's, is, is there going to be Mayo at the, the game in Jacksonville or no, not this year. I don't, I don't think so. No, they're not doing that. Yeah. All right. Too bad. I was hoping you're going to be at the Peach Bowl this year. We didn't get to see it at the SEC Championship. Yeah. Man, I, I'm I'm too busy during during game days. You know me. I I write 500 stories a day. So I know it's unbelievable. Pate was like, yeah, you write. I, what did Pate say? You write 1,500 stories a day on a on a on a slow day. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, really appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. No problem at all, man. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Tennessee receiver Jalen Hyatt. Jalen is here on behalf of the most obvious NIL deal ever, uh, World of Hyatt. Jalen is hooking the families of Tennessee players up with a gift card to stay at a Hyatt hotel so that they can travel to see the Vols take on Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Got to ask the obvious question here. um, How did it take until December for Jalen Hyatt to get an NIL deal with Hyatt? Yeah, you know, it was something we were working on um, for a while now. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to come to a, you know, a good understanding and a good agreement um, at the end of the day. I think that's why it took so long. But just with the Hyatt, uh, you know, obviously 
uh, one of the best hotels that you know you can go to and um, just working with them in their, their front office and they're great people and um, but the, the way that you know they wanted to uh, do the NIL deal it just it flashed in my eyes you know as far as with families and uh, just how they wanted to do it and I had to I had to get on board for sure I had to get on board. It's awesome to see that. And that's, you know, what NIL is what I think people that, that say, oh, it's just all about getting these kids money. It's like, no, you're doing you're doing good and you're you're trying to make an impact and trying to help out these, you know, these families would love to be able to see their kids play in a big time bowl game. And it's awesome to see what you're doing. This means that you're automatically playing in the bowl game, right? I'll be I'll be there. I'll be there with the team. Um uh, make sure I'm always going to be supporting the team regardless. And uh, especially as far as with Hyatt hotels and how we have it set up, uh, families will be able to be there as far as staying. Um, it's going to be a great environment. I can't wait to go down there, but definitely I'll definitely be with the team as far as uh, traveling for sure. There was that wasn't a yes. That wasn't a no. I like what you did there. <laughs> you figured this out. That's a, that's, that's the smart answer. Okay. So as of right now, no NFL decision just yet. I'm not going to ask you what your decision is, but when do you hope to have that figured out? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll have a decision by next week as far as, um, you know, putting it out for everybody. And, um, you know, it's still 50-50 for me. Uh, I still have to weigh a lot of things, a lot of options. You know, I'm talking to coaches, uh, you know, talking to my family. Um, and, you know, it's a big decision at the end of the day, you know, how big, you know, decision is. And um, But we're coming to a conclusion. Um, and uh, for next week, I'll definitely have an answer. But uh, I'll definitely be there supporting the team for sure, no matter what the answer is. You obviously exploded this year. Uh, you're kind of the rare case of the guy who not only gets a ton of offseason buzz, but then is able to exceed those expectations in a season. And I remember seeing some of your comments early in the offseason talking about watching Cedric Tillman and watching the way that he really blew up because he was a guy that lived at the facility. And you're like, I want to be that guy. Like, I, I want to embrace what he did and be able to, to kind of break out in this offense, this high octane offense. How did that kind of set the stage for the year that you had? Yeah, we had a lot of guys up here that, uh, you know, had success early, uh, especially with the new coach, with coach Hype coming in. Um, you know, obviously Cedric Tillman and Bayless Jones, um, you know, those two guys I was watching, you know, when I was a sophomore, um, just seeing how they uh, ran, like just how they, what they did in the facility as far as how they work, their work ethic. Um, and I caught on, you know, and I wanted to follow those guys and um, because they're leaders in our room when they were here. And uh, that's what I wanted to be, you know, when my, uh, for my junior year. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was a blessing just to see how they worked and how they got me to work in the, in the facility and they helped me big time. When you find out that Josh Heupel is going to be your head coach after the 2020 season and 2020 was was rough for for a lot of programs, obviously, but just the way that it kind of ended with with Jeremy Pruitt, what was your initial reaction finding out? Oh, my gosh, this offense, that's a top 10 offense on a yearly basis. They throw the ball a lot. They run up tempo. They stretch the field. What, what was kind of your initial reaction to hearing all that? Yeah, you know, uh, just just with that whole situation as far as getting new coaches, uh, new coaches, you know, it's tough, you know, for players, especially with transfer portal, especially with a lot of things that, you know, go on in college football now. Um, but, you know, when, when when we knew we got Josh Heupel, um, especially from UCF and what he did there with the offense and, um, you know, we knew we had a good one. And the day he stepped foot on on campus and the day he talked to us that first time, you know, I knew I wanted to stay here. I knew I wanted to be with him. And uh, just just how he coaches now, uh, just looking at the present, you know, obviously it was the right answer. But, um, you know, it's it's just a blessing just to be a part of him and what he has done here so far. 
It seemed like when when Cedric went out this year, you flipped it into overdrive. I mean, you really took it upon yourself to be like, no, I, I got to be the guy. And I know, you know, Brew really stepped up and you kept talking about, you know, this guy right here is the man. He's really been able to develop into kind of exactly what he was hoping to as his former five-star guy. But you take it upon yourself to say, I need to be the go-to guy in this offense. When that happened and you realized that you were going to be in an increased role, what was that mindset like for you? Because all of a sudden you go from being a slot receiver who's not going to get that number one coverage every single time to probably being the number one guy in every opposing team scouting report. Yeah, you know, when you lose a big time receiver, like said, uh, you know, obviously we know how Sad can play and we know what he can do on the field. You know, when you lose a big time guy like that, you know, somebody has to step up. Uh, Brew has been doing his part. Ramel Keaton stepped up big time for us this year, um, and I knew I had to step. I had to step up as well. Um, you know, even if it's number one, number two, it doesn't matter what it was. I knew I had to step up my play um, and be, you know, uh, just be the guy on this team and be a leader. You know, I think it's the biggest thing. I knew I had to step up in the leadership role and, um, you know, just be a part of this team as far as what I can do to help the team. And um, I really, you know, give my credit, Coach Goldish, you know, Coach Pope, and you know, what they've done for me to help me as far as with the season. And, um, you know, it's just been, it's been an honor just being a part of these guys, man, just brothers. And um, we did, we did a lot of things this year that I'm proud of. Explain the, the impact that Coach Golish had, because I think a lot of people look at Hypel system and they say, oh, it's all about him. But there's a reason that guy just got an FBS head coaching job and the impact that he made on your team, Broyles Ward, finalists, all these different things. How did he kind of make sure that he was going to be a, a very vocal part of your game plan? Like what, what goes into his role and why he was able to kind of help take you guys to that next level this year? I think Coach Gold is uh, just as far as, you know, uh, what he has done for us when he was here. Just, I mean, he's smart. You know, he's smart. Uh, we all know he's smart. And when I when I mean smart as far as how he how he has his pieces, you know, he we have we have a lot of players in that offensive room that can play, that can ball. And he knows how to get it to the right guys. He know what formation, what schemes we can do to uh, just fulfill the, you know, the, the, the talent that we have in that offensive uh, roster. And, you know, what he has done, um, you know, just being a part of it, man, it was amazing just as far as what he can do and how he can change the game and what he can call. And, um, you know, I'm just blessed to be a part of, you know, probably what did he win? the Did he win the, uh, the national one? The Broyles Award, I think that went to Todd Munkin as of this okay. recording. I think so. I could be wrong about okay. that, but having he won that. the uh, yeah. Well, it, you know, at the end of the day, we know what Coach Goldish can do, and you know, I'm just blessed to be part of what he has done here, and I'm proud of what he is going to do at USF, and I know he'll be. I know he do a great job there too. Okay, take me back to the recruiting process. Uh, a lot was made about the South Carolina stuff. Um, you, you grow up, obviously, close proximity to that program. Did you get an explanation as to why they never offered you? Uh, you know, I I don't, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, you never know as far as uh, just where all, you know, how all that unfolds. Um, you know, I, it's still a business as far as we're recruiting. You know, you, you know, if, if, for me, when I was looking at it, you know, uh, it, it wasn't any harsh feelings with South Carolina. Um, you know, I had a great program here with Tennessee. I was getting recruited by other schools, and um, I think we just came to understanding that, you know, obviously we would go our separate ways. But you know, just growing up in a hometown, uh, South Carolina, that was the that was the one I wanted. You know, South Carolina offered. Just growing up there, uh, you always want the hometown uh, team there, and but you know, it just didn't work like that. And sometimes that's how it is. But um. You know, just when you look at it now, you know, obviously uh, God had the right path for me and I just had to keep going and, you know, stay true to who I am and to myself. 
some people might be listening to this after the Blitnikoff is is announced, but I think this kind of plays either way. Uh, you were named a finalist for a while. It felt like it was kind of you versus Marvin Harrison Jr. Kind of still feels like that going into it. Do you feel like you had the best case to be able to win that award? Yeah, you know, just talking about Marvin Harrison, obviously a dynamic player, um, you know, a player that can uh, take top off, player that's physical, contested catches. You know, he can do it all. Um, a great player as far as what he can do, especially him being a sophomore. You know, I give props to him. But, um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't even – uh, think about as far as all that stuff. I let the, you know, let the voters vote. Um, I just, you know, I try to worry about what can I do better? You know, what can I improve on? You know, as far as for uh, just everything, as far as what I can do to, you know, better myself in the game. But, you know, as far as, you know, winning awards or, you know, if I do, I have a case for, it, you know, I think the film speaks for itself, you know, and, um, but I'm gonna let everybody else do the talking. I'm gonna just focus on, you know, what I can do to, you know, get better and work on myself. What was the reaction when you guys found out that that Hendon wasn't going to be a Heisman finalist? Yeah, I, I called him. I called him time. I seen it. Um, and, you know, I was very disappointed, you know, very disappointed. And, um, you know, I think he was, too. But at the end of the day, I think he understands, uh, you know, what he has done for us, you know, because that's all we care about is just the brotherhood, you know, at the University of Tennessee what we can do better and what he has done for us. You know, he, he'll be forever a legendary, you know, University of Tennessee. And, you know, I'm just grateful, you know, I'm blessed to just be a part of playing with him, you know, and just being part of uh, catching the passes from him. And I had a great time, you know, I had a great time with him. And uh, I know he's going to have a successful career, you know, when he, once he gets to the NFL. And I'm proud of what he has done for us. Can you explain for those of us mortals who have never got into the zone, like what you did against Alabama, what, what that process is like when, you know, there's just nothing that they can do to guard you. What, what is that like when you dial in and you realize that you're getting everything that you want and that there is just, there's no nothing that they can be able to present to you. That's going to prevent you from getting to the end zone. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, just during that game, I just felt like, you know, I felt like I was in the zone. Um, I felt like uh, this was the game. You know, this is the game. If it's, if it's any game, this is the game. I have to take over. You know, I have to take over. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a lot of things that, that play into that part as far as how that happened. You know, obviously, the O-line has to play well. You know, the quarterback has to be on the same page. And, you know, just looking back and you see that everybody's playing as one, you know, as a team and just seeing what we did on that field, man, it's just, you know, obviously that will live on forever. But uh, I'm just proud of this team, man. You know, that's what I'm really proud of at the end of the day. You realize no cigar is ever going to taste as good as that one, right? Like you've accepted <laughs> that? Yeah, for sure. Nah, definitely, definitely. Do you think Tennessee got the respect this year that, that it's deserved by everyone? Uh, I think we, I think we earn, you know, I, I think we earn some respect as far as what team we can be, um, uh, and not only that, what we can be next year, what we can be in the future. Um, you know, th this is something that we're just starting, and not only that, this is Coach Hype's second year, um, and we have the players here, and we will get players in here that will be invested, that will be ready, um, and I, I just think this is just the beginning for us, you know, and what we can do. I really believe, you know, in the future, we have a chance to do something really, really big. Seems like a good place for a receiver in the transfer portal to want to come play for, my opinion. Just it seems like you could make you kind of help make that pitch and you and Cedric, what you guys did, and Brew, especially coming in kind of at the last minute being ruled eligible. Like mm -hmm. that seems like an obvious sell for you guys moving forward, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And not only that, just to have Brew back, um, you know, uh, 
I don't know about Romel. Uh, I think he'll be back too. Uh, but just looking at everything, you know, obviously Brew, you know, I just want to talk about Brew because, you know, what he did at the end of the Bama game, you know, I told him after that, I, I think we had a, we had a timeout right after that uh, the uh, call for the field goal before we, you know, kicked it. And I told him, you know, in the TV time, I was like, man, you want us the game, just catching that pass, a contested catch right over the middle. Um, you know, that was the biggest, biggest probably moment of the season for us. And uh, I'm just proud of what he has done for us. And just to have him back, man, it's going to be a big, big year for him. And we're milking for sure. All right. This has been great, man. Really appreciate it. I want to get you out of here with some rapid fire, just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah, let's do it. All right, first one. How far uh, have you seen Joe Milton throw a football, and has it landed yet? It's probably still in the moon right now. Um, you know, I, 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 the crazy thing is I told him one time to throw it from the end zone and just see, you know, how far he can throw. It, I think it was up there with the clouds as far as where the was in the air. But, man, where it landed, I don't even want to talk about where it landed, but it was crazy. Just know that. Over under 80 yards. Over for sure. Oh my god. Okay, over under 90 yards. Okay, under that. But he <laughs> throw it. I'm telling you, man, it's it's too easy for him as far as how far he can throw it. So definitely that. Okay, uh Cam Smith, will he get a Christmas card from you? <laughs> hey, you know, I know Cam, I know Cam Smith in high school. I knew what he can do, and obviously a great player. Uh, I respect his game. I respect his game and uh, he's a good corner. Um, and, you know, he'll probably get a Christmas card from me. You know, I don't hate on nobody. Great player. He'll get a Christmas card from me. Those are fun. I like those battles. We need to have more of that. You know, it's like the Mar- the, the Marshawn Lattimore, you know, Mike Evans thing in the NFL. Like, you know, this is this is healthy. This is good for the sport. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, okay. Did Peyton Manning approach you after Bama, or were you just feeling so good that you approached him? Ooh, okay. Somebody actually grabbed me. Somebody grabbed me to go go to him. But I will say that the biggest, the 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 one that kind of caught me off guard was when uh, he wanted me to sign. He wanted me to sign autographs for his son and daughter. I thought that was big for me. That was pretty big just to be able to do that. You know, I thought that, that would never happen in my life. But it was Peyton Manning, time. Peyton Manning asked you for an autograph. He asked me to sign <laughs> his son's shirt, his jersey. It, it was crazy. I was, mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was supposed to be reversed, but you know. Um, what's the, uh, the best NIL deal besides Hyatt that you've gotten so far? Um, I really like my, uh, I really like my, um, realtor one that I have with Jennifer Morris. Uh, not only that, just as far as what we can do for the future, as far as partnership, I think it's a great idea from my team and her team, um, as far as how we collab with that. So I think that's definitely my, one of the ones that I really uh, was happy to get as far as for NIL. Last one for you. What would the score be uh, had you guys gotten a rematch with Georgia in the playoff? Neutral site. We play Georgia. Um, is that with Hook? Yeah, with 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 Hendon healthy. Yeah. Okay, so with Hendon, is that with said healthy too? With said healthy too. Okay, with said healthy. Um, neutral site, big game. You know, I'll I'll say for I'll definitely probably say if we you know had everybody back healthy, train form, um, I'll go forty. I go forty two. I go forty two thirty five. Us. I'd watch that game. I'd watch 40, that game. Thirty five us. 
Love it. Love it. Jalen, uh, on behalf of Hyatt, which that's, that still seems weird to say because that's your last name, uh, but it just makes the per- all the sense in the world. I uh, wish you the best of luck with everything moving forward. I'm looking forward to seeing your next chapter, whatever that is. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out, let's talk a little holiday shopping. Consider this your reminder to go do some holiday shopping. If that kind of snuck up on you, been there before, know what that feeling is like when you turn the calendar to December and realize, oh gosh, we uh, we got some work to do. So that's that's one of those nice things sometimes about being in a relationship is you have somebody to kind of keep you on balance with that. Somebody that can, like when you have a significant other who is very much on top of gift giving and does that over a month ahead of time, Lauren does that very, very well and is on top of all the Black Friday stuff. And we're never in a situation where we're panicking this time of year, which is nice. Um, but yeah, back in my back in my single days, there, there were some uh, there's some Christmas Eve gifts. I can't imagine doing that now or having to order something on Amazon Prime or something like that, overnight shipping, just to be able to make it for Christmas, just because, goodness gracious, we get reminders of this constantly. <laughs> I mean, if you watch Hulu or something like that, and you're not, you know, you didn't, you don't have the, the ad free, um, the ad free version of Hulu, which you know I don't. Whatever, we got like six streaming services. Can't spring for all of them. You see those reminders just constantly. I just get anxiety about that, and we end up just buying stuff. And it's so nice to be able to take care of that. But yeah, we have a few people left on that list, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point this week. And yeah, that's always tricky too, when you do holiday shopping now and you are going to be traveling to see family and you just send it to their house and you have to tell them, Hey, don't open this thing. (laughs) Uh, Just leave that there. I promise it's something that we send for you. We've run into a few issues with that in the past. We struggle now as people that go back to see our respective families, Lawrence in Indianapolis, mine in the suburbs of Chicago, we struggle with getting gifts home. And a lot of times we'll have to tell our family, hey, don't get me something that's really big that I would have to potentially pack on a plane because that's not something we can take home. Just send it to our house. Send it to our house. It's totally fine. Even if we don't have a million presents to open under the tree, that's not something that we're necessarily going to sweat. Just whatever is easiest to be able to make that work. But yeah, I feel like now holiday shopping is such an ordeal. Just to be able to make that list, figure out who needs what. There's inevitably one person that always kind of gets forgotten about, but it's something that Lauren takes very seriously. And her being a type A, she is always just so unbelievably on top of it. So let's take this to the Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. Asked a few questions. What is the best holiday gift you've ever received? Do you still go in stores or are you just online only? Sentimental gifts, yeah or nah. And who in your life is so hard to shop for? So we got a couple. Let's go to a couple of responses here. Let's start with this one from Drew Page. Drew says, when I was 17, I got into a really bad wreck and totaled my mom's car. The following Christmas, we were celebrating my dad's birthday in Lexington. And my grandpa told me to look out the window. He had gotten me a truck and it lasted seven years before we sold before we sold it. Felt bad for my dad, but uh, he was excited for me also. Okay, Drew, 
that you are the rare case of that actually happening. The commercial come to life because I am of the belief that nobody actually buys their significant other or a family member a Lexus for Christmas with a giant bow out and you hear the, the little jingle. My dad used to, every time we would open a small present when I was a kid, my dad would always go, do, 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 do. There's the little Lexus jingle and we were never getting a car. That was never going to happen. But yeah, that's, that's the ultimate surprise. I, even if you feel like you're in the market for a car, and you're told, look out the window, there's a car for you. That's just so off the radar of what a normal gift is that that surprise is going to hit every single time. A shame to hear the circumstances surrounding that of totaling your mom's car, having it happen the way that it did. But yeah, I mean, that's that's just so tough to top. That'll That's ultimate Christmas gift, ultimate surprise. That's That's about as good as it gets. Emery says, for kids in our family, we try to do experiences over gifts because kids already have thousands of toys that they don't play with, facts. For adults in our family, we try to get something for them that they would use and not a typical gift. The best gift I've ever gotten was actually for my birthday, but being a late December birthday, it still counts because people give me Christmas gifts with happy birthday, Sharpie on. So I'll use uh, both, I'll use that both ways. Um, he says his wife, Kelsey, paid for, paid for him to get a tattoo um, he says, yes, I have choke tattoos. It's a rooster smoking a pipe in the middle of my thigh. The joke itself isn't family friendly enough to actually make the show tattoo gift. Can't say I've, I've experienced a lot of that because you have to know somebody so well that they've been talking about this tattoo and they just haven't necessarily pulled the trigger on, on getting it. But that's that's a big time gift. That's not easy either to be able to kind of set that up and, and plan that and say, hey, go do this. But if you've already if you've already gotten tattoos before, I think that opens up the door a little bit. But yeah, that's man. Um, when you have a birthday in late December, be honest, people listening to this who are in this spot, you wish you could change your birthday. You do. I you, you know you do. And my father-in-law, same thing. His birthday is the week of Christmas, and we always have to get him multiple gifts because it's that time of year. And I don't, I don't mind doing that from a gift-giving standpoint. It's actually kind of nice. You're like, oh, if you have two ideas, just think about it that one specific time of year. And he's an, a pretty easy person to shop for, but that that has to suck. It just does. Like you're usually not when you were a kid. You probably weren't in school during your birthday, and. It's always like, oh, are we going to go all out or are we just going to kind of give you a couple extra gifts here and there? I think if you have a, a late December birthday or especially if your birthday is in between the week of Christmas and New Year's, which is the least productive week in human history, I think you should get to pick a random day in the summer to change your birthday to if you want. Just opt out of your birthday. I have no problem with that whatsoever. If you want to just tell people moving forward, yeah, my birthday is you know June 28th. I'll get you a present that day. That's fine. You want to space it out? Don't blame you at all. That's that's better than just getting a couple random gifts thrown in there and everybody forgetting. Oh, it's also his birthday. Uh, we probably got to get him a little something extra for that. You know, it's it's it, it'd, be, it'd just be easier for everybody if you just say, "Hey, birthday is June twenty eighth. Just give me something then. No worries about it. No hard feelings." Um, the people that are hard to shop for, they're always your parents, right? I mean. There's this awkward dynamic with your parents where you feel like if they could get something, they would just get it, right? Like I deal with that a lot with, with my in-laws. They are the type of people, if they want it, they just go get it. 
My mother-in-law wanted to get a squat rack for her gym garage, so she just got it. <laughs> they wanted to get a lap pull-down machine. They just got it. They don't need a holiday. They don't need a birthday. That's not to say that they're rich or wealthy or well-off. They're just the type of people that say, hey, if if this is going to make our lives easier, or we're going to have some sort of automatic use for this immediately, we're just going to go do it, which in turn makes it really tough on people like us because we have to think of something that they hadn't thought of. It's not like they make this ongoing list that they send to us of here are five things that we've considered. It's like, no, they just, they've already bought those things. So it makes it challenging, but what it also kind of forces you to do is say, what exactly would make their life better? What's something that they wouldn't buy for themselves? And I think we've hit on a few of those. The other route to go, and I'm usually not, you can't do this every year. You can't. But the sentimental gift, when it hits right, man, it's good. It's really, really good. One of my favorite uh, gifts that we were ever able to give um, was for was for my mom. And uh, it was... Something that, of course, Lauren thought of because Lauren is Lauren and she's very thoughtful and, you know, it just nails gifts. Very good gift giver. And uh, it was when my dad was uh, was in his third bout of cancer and he, um, you know, it was, it was a really tough time for our family. And my um, my mom wanted some sort of a keepsake. Um, from my dad and not just one of his, one of his things or, or something like that. You know, like she wasn't gonna like wear one of his watches or something like that. So uh, Lauren came up with the idea of we'll get a little uh, pendant that says love you always, which was the way that my dad used to sign off on any card that he would get my mom. So Lauren found a way to be able to get my dad's little you know signature sign off to my mom and be able to put it on on this this pendant. I think it was through Etsy or or, or something like that. And uh, yeah, that that one hit. That 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 was a hit. Definitely not a miss. Um, and those are the types of things that like you you can't you can't force something like that. And it. it it takes sometimes a little bit of willingness to to say like, all right, is this going to be something that maybe makes you cry or makes you feel a different sort of emotion every single time that you use it? One time, um, I think this was, yeah, this was like right after, right after Lauren and I got married and she got a canvas from my mom with my mom and I's first dance. And it was the, the lyrics to bless the, it was, um, Oh, not bless the broken road. Other rascal flat song. Uh, my wish, my wish, which was the song I played uh, during uh, the first dance I had with my mom um, at Lauren and I's wedding. And so the lyrics being on that, that canvas with this like beautiful picture um, that our wedding photographer took uh, that one instant tears, instant tears. Uh, and it was one of those where Lauren and I kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, then we'll probably never be able to, to come up with anything quite like that again. And then we, we said after those two gifts, okay, let's, we're going to take a break from the, from the sentimental gifts. We'll get my mom Ray-Bans or an Apple watch or, or something like that. We'll go with things that she might like and not necessarily try and make her cry every single year. That's not necessarily the goal, but yeah. Um, giving those gifts to me, that's, that's outweighed anything, anything that I've ever been able to get. But the best gift that I've ever received. I remember I was 12 or 13. I think I was, I was in middle school, maybe, maybe sixth, seventh grade. And, um, my Christmas, all my Christmas presents have been open. We're sitting down to breakfast and I'd really wanted a Tracy McGrady Jersey. 
big Orlando Magic fan when Horace Grant went to the Magic. And that was kind of my team for a little bit, especially Bulls post-MJ, Fairweather fan as a middle schooler, whatever, don't hate. So after all of our presents have been open, my mom goes upstairs and she comes back down and it's like a garbage bag. I'm thinking to myself, like, like what? I didn't know we had trash bags upstairs like that. It was like a full industrial size trash bag. And my mom goes into it and she pulls out a Tracy McGrady jersey and hands it to me. She's like, oh, I got one more for you. And that was like, oh, man, you, you want to talk about a way to a middle school kid's heart. I don't know that I cried, but I, that was probably the closest that I came to, to to tears from getting a gift like that just because the presentation was everything. And I think I had gotten like a million sweaters that year. And every single time I was going to get a sweater, it was the same sort of feel of what a jersey would feel like. So by the time I got that fourth sweater or whatever it was, I was like, oh man, I, I don't need this. I just want the jersey. That's all I want. And uh, yeah, getting that Tracy McGrady jersey, which I still have in my closet, still have to this day. Don't think we're going to give up that anytime soon. Lawrence won through a few Magic games, actually. So we still get some good use out of that. But yeah, I love me some Tracy McGrady. And that was one of those moments on Christmas morning that you just won't, won't really, you won't you won't be able to, to forget or move past that. But yes, uh, holiday shopping. I actually like it. I, I really like it. I've come to, as an adult. It's kind of nice when you don't feel like every gift is going to be 15 or $20 or something like that. And you feel like, okay, you know, there's, you know, you spend a little bit of money and everybody's in a different place financially, but it's kind of nice to be able to, to say like, oh, if, if I, I know this gift is is something that they, they would really like and get a kick out of that. Lauren and I usually just kind of say, ah, screw it. Let's do it. Why not? Um, this would be this would be something that I think this person would get great use out of. So um, let's go to, we have Lad of the Week. Lad of the Week. I know Will's not on, but we'll still end with some Lad of the Week. He probably would have picked this guy. Exactly. So uh, I have Will Rogers as my Lad of the Week. In case you did not see this from John Sokoloff, the best friend of a certain Lane Kiffin actually reported this that Will Rogers raised $74,000 to Make-A-Wish Mississippi. 34000 of it came via his touchdown passes. He had 34 touchdown passes this year. He was doing $1,000 per touchdown pass. That was through the, the Simmons erosion control. They, they made that happen. And then he got an additional 40000 in private donations that were raised. Love to see it this time of year too, man. Love to see kids that are out here using their platform for for better with nil and that was one of the things that we talked about with with jalen hyatt and being able to, to to do some good and that's that's kind of the nice thing about nil and seeing all these causes and hopefully we're going to continue to see a lot more and we'll, we'll try and do our best to, to put a spotlight on that plan for next week so i messed up when i talked about the pod schedule on the sunday recap pod we are moving forward planning on recording mondays and Thursday. So that means pods will come out Tuesday morning and Friday morning. So that's kind of what we did in the off season. That's easier for us to be able to kind of recap some of these things that are going on. So what we'll do next week for the pod that will drop next Tuesday is we will recap all the Heisman stuff. I'll talk about my thought process with my ballot. I know there's been a lot of takes all week about that. We'll have a full recap kind of of the way that that broke down and then a great interview coming up with a certain SEC legend who um, I don't know that that a whole lot of people have heard from this guy for a while, but we've talked about it a little bit. Um, so yes, 
Uh, look forward to that. If you have not, do us a little little holiday. Give us a little holiday gift here with a five-star review. If you have not done that, subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name right on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.